United States of Lead is an informative podcast that may contain sensitive material and the occasional F-bomb. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to United States of Lead, a podcast about crime, mental decline, and the lead thread that links them. This week, we are joined with a very special guest. Paul and I will just let you introduce yourself for our listeners. Okay, yeah, my name's uh, Tim Pye. Actually, I live in uh, Buckinghamshire in southern England. I'm a retired IT consultant and previously worked in pharmaceuticals and ecological research and also worked on quite a bit of health data systems. I'm not really retired. I've just stopped being paid. So <laughs> I, I, You're retired from being paid, <laughs> but still working. Voluntary work, run the local arboretum and I help out at the local food bank. But most of my time is spent on uh, lead poisoning prevention campaigns and trying to get something done in the UK. Tim, I have to say, I can't remember if it was on LinkedIn or just somewhere in your digital footprint. I saw that one of your titles, like your official title on something was simply volunteer. And I thought that's something we all need to aspire to. I'm ready. I'm here. I have skills. I have experience and I'm available to share this. How cool is that? Yeah, that's what I thought when I retired from IT. Uh, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be able to be in demand. But it's surprising how uh, into some charities can be. No, they don't Mm. want somebody coming in and telling them how to do things or telling them they're doing it wrong, you know. So it's an interesting uh, relationship, because I'm sure you find out that within the charitable volunteer, voluntary organisations, the politics are worse than they are in any commercial enterprise. They have their own enterprise, don't they? It's a nest egg to protect of sorts. Yeah, that's right. So you mentioned your previous work. What caused you to advocate for lead poisoning awareness? Yeah, well, that really came from um, when we moved in uh, 2013. We moved into an old house built in the 1920s. And I was doing a lot of uh, renovation, DIY things, and then found out that what I've been doing was really quite dangerous, that I've been doing all the wrong things, not following the the rules that I was ignorant of. So dry sanding lead paint and scraping lead paint and things like that. And I just sort of occurred to me when I woke up one morning, I wonder if this is okay, and then did a bit of research and was really shocked by what I found out. And the more I read, the worse it got. 
And I kind of had a nervous breakdown and I was talking to a counsellor who said, well, if you're so concerned, why are you not telling other people? And so I sort of did. Did you notice anything? Is that why you looked into it? Were you experiencing anything that made you look into it? No, I wouldn't say that I identified any particular symptoms of acute lead poisoning. I did have a blood test and I had an elevated level. Okay. So Uh, speaking of home repairs, I just want to ask, Here in the U.S., and we did an episode on it, those home renovation shows, we have a lot of them. Is that something that you guys have that's pretty popular in the U.K.? And do they also not follow lead safe practices when they're doing these shows? They do not follow lead safe practices. um, Yeah, I'll be shouting at the television. Yeah. (laughs) There are no rules here. We don't have rules like the RRP rule, no lead safe contractor accreditation people. oh wow there are some guidelines but that was going to be my next question because here when you're renting if you're renting from a place that was built before i think 1978 or 1976 they have to just give you this flyer that says there might be lead paint in here mm-hmm. not that they're going to do anything about it but they just have to make you aware are people needing to do that th- no doesn't happen surveyors when they're um doing a survey of a property before buying it, they might mention that there could be lead paint or lead paint. But it's not required. There's no requirements. It's not like in France they do. Any home that was built before 1949 has to have a test for lead paint on sale. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. But the UK, no, we've got no regulations at all about that. We're trying to get changed. We're trying to encourage the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors to advise their surveyors that they should include lead in paint pipes and soil. Yeah. There are leaflets around, but they're not generally made available, and certainly there's no disclosure rules. Interesting. One of the things that we keep going back to is just how deeply sensible some of this regulation seems. The risk is just so high. The dangers are so severe, and it seems to be so prevalent, so greater access to testing or some things on your website with the paint stirrers like that just seems so so sensible and also even like a cost savings if everyone has has to use the same mass produced but i really appreciate your story uh, where you're doing some work on your home and you're just asking these sensible questions like oh well let me just look into this let me make sure i'm doing this right It sounds like your story is something that should happen just to be repeated over and over with just about any homeowner, any builder. Why do you think it's not? How come that isn't occurring more regularly? Well, I put it on. There's an acronym for LED, L-E-A-D, which is laziness, excuses, apathy, and denial. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yes. That's uh, that's what we've been exploring. That's it. Well, um, that's our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what happens is basically, well, there's a lot of not enough awareness, of course. And somebody said, if it doesn't hurt you, it doesn't harm you. And so therefore, tradesmen, builders and so on, they'll think, yeah, they'll be aware of immediate dangers that hurt you if you fall off a ladder or something. But when it's something that's very systemic, that's going to cause long-term trouble, it's certainly... Asbestos has been raised as a health and safety issue, and that gets a lot of attention. I think the problem is, especially in the UK, the cost would be borne by homeowners. 
and and I think this is uh, listening to one of your uh, other podcasts and you're talking about the responsibility gets put onto the individual rather than the people who are maybe responsible or those who could effect the solution more effectively. So therefore, we're going to tell people, your house is poisonous. Mm-hmm. You've got to fix it. It's your fault. That's a very hard message. Yeah. Well, and how long it takes. Because once you find out, you've got to be gone for at least six months. I mean, where are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> like you just leave your house like, all right, we'll be back. Well, I take the approach that you don't, if you're trying to go for full abatement, then yeah, it's going to be really hard. But you basically deal with the worst first. So this house I've got here, I've got, yeah, it used to get fairly high levels and done, done a lot of analysis of dust samples. It used to be bad, but now it's not. And we didn't have to move out. It was just a case mm-hmm. of dealing with the hazards and preventing any lead. So basically in this room, right, that door you can see over there, that's got lead paint under the top layer. The door itself was stripped. This thing called door dipping, I don't know if you do that in the US, where you send the door away, a painted door, and it comes back with the paint removed, not the lead removed. And in fact, you're in a much worse state because you've now taken all the, what might be uh, good layers of paint, and you get back to bad layers of paint. And mm-hmm. that was very leady, but you found that if you varnish it enough times, there's no lead coming out of it. So question of learning the techniques, and some of these I've put onto the website, or nice. I'll be on the lead group as well, about sharing how to deal with the risk so now i can most of the time i will get no detect on lead in dust samples nice you can't control it yeah that's empowering for people versus you know there's nothing i can do about this or if i do it's all on me so that's nice to hear because we should be transitioning to making this about people empowering themselves to you know be able to handle this There was a story, an NPR story here about a mom and her two kids where they found lead. In the comments, there were people with young children where their pediatricians are telling them that it's not a big deal. There's even health professionals where they're being told, oh, that was something that was an issue in the 40s and the 50s. And you don't have to worry about that anymore. And people blow it out of proportion. What kind of response would you have to that? That's the experience we get. I mean, we haven't done a real survey, but you see our anecdotal thing is parents saying that their doctors just mocked them when they came saying, oh, what about lead exposure? And they're like, no, no, it's not a thing. And I've spoken to various doctors who just say, I've never seen any cases of lead poisoning. You know, and Well, therefore, like, <laughs> it just doesn't exist because I've never seen it. <laughs> it's because they've got this idea lead poisoning is an acute thing. And still, you don't see many acute cases. There's only one child in the last few years who actually died from lead poisoning. But then you say, well, actually, I think you're seeing many cases of lead poisoning every day. And you just don't know that you, you are. Know. Exactly. Yeah. You've got the miscarriages, preterm births, through the whole... My thing is high blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, that's one. You know, I'm things thinking. like that where it's... Yeah. Yeah, well, I was a few years ago, I was diagnosed as being autistic, but what we call high-functioning autistic. And I think, well, I know, I remember my father, he used to burn old paint and I used to play with lead. <laughs> I used to, have, you know, I did a lot of soldering. I used to make model railways when I was young. And mm-hmm. Soldering, I think, yeah, well, we were exposed to a lot of lead as well as in uh, gas. Of course, we were in our whole environment. Yes. It was very leady. <laughs> very leady. <laughs> I just find your approach, coming back to this concept of it's sensible. You know, Andrea and I, 
maybe we haven't had this undercurrent of complete abatement. I think that's kind of one of the things that we've talked about. We haven't really talked about how do you live with lead? We've had an undercurrent of like eradication. And it sounds like you have the perspective, a sensible one, that you can live with a door that has lead in it. And there are ways of increasing your safety. Would you say that that's a perspective that you have? Is that that right? Yeah, lead-free is impossible. Lead-safe is achievable. Look at that window. That's all lead lines on the window. But it's safe. It's outside, not on the inside lead. I would say the outside of this house is pretty toxic, but inside's okay. (laughs) It is about being good enough. Basically, there is no way of avoiding lead and a lot of other things. Everything is everywhere. It's the levels that count. It's how much, how long, how often. That's what matters. You will never be free of uh, toxins for being toxed all the time. Now, most of the time, your body can either repel or remove or repair the damage. It's only when the levels get too high that you can't. So Inconsistent too. Yeah. If you, yeah, that yeah. consistency. Yeah, if you're getting it every day, then it, of course, it's cumulative. That's uh, the big mm-hmm. problem. You know, seeing those windows... They're lovely. I'm thinking the person that made those windows is probably no longer with us. They're not old. They're about three or four years old. Oh. Before I realized how bad they could be. So we replaced the old windows in this house, the very same style, but they were basically single glaze with lead on both sides. And we've got double glazing with lead only on the outside. So they're still being installed. They're very popular and nobody knows. So this is one of these things as well. That gets installed into people's houses, no warnings. And okay, as long as you um, clean them with the same cloth that you wash your dishes with, maybe it's not too bad. But the problem is, and what I've found is that the surface underneath, it's not just that, the the surface underneath the sill, that gets contaminated. Mm -hmm. Basically, you can install lead anywhere. I believe what we should be doing is saying, well, don't install lead where it can be accessible. So, Mm -hmm. and virtually every, if I said every house, somebody might be able to find one to disprove it, but nearly every (laughs) has lead on it. So around chimneys and uh, roof joints and things like that, there'll be lead there. I I took a soil sample outside our house and found it had 5,000 parts per million lead. That's about 0.5%. The soil was metallic lead. So we're very contaminated here. So our soil, in fact, our urban soil is above the safe level in the UK, our average urban soil. Wow. We're so bad. There was a kid in Bristol, one of the cities uh, here, was uh, was a kid, but mom cla- uh, the mother claimed a, a kid was poisoned by just being in the garden and playing. Playing in the dirt? Yeah, there is nothing to stop. And I see it all the time, people putting lead on the front door and then people just push with a hand and push it. In fact, there was a, a TV series recently that, and there was a scene of a mother holding a baby and a baby was rubbing his hand on the lead. <laughs> you just, no, no. So, wow. Yeah, this they, living with lead kind of opens up this notion. Yeah. It's pushing back on something that I think I've been thinking Do you think then, is there a cultural argument for including lead in construction? Like the development of glass in some buildings is, or paint in fine art, there's a history behind that. So is that something, if we're not completely eradicating all lead, 
is there room for this cultural carve-outs, I guess? Do you think that's important or is that something we need to explore more or mitigate? Or What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a cultural thing with builders. They, they say, we've always used lead. It's the best thing for the job. So therefore, we're going to carry on using it because there's nothing else like it. Nothing's going to last as long. And therefore, they carry on. There is the um, alleged sheet association I think, in the UK who give lots of advice about keeping safe to the installers, but they don't do anything. Then for the, the end consumer who's living in the property with lead lying all around it, and even new builds, I see huge amounts of lead put onto some buildings. So why don't we do, why don't we regulate this? Why don't people think it's a problem? Because there's no evidence, basically. And there's probably no evidence because it's very much a UK building style. And I've seen it a little bit in the Belgium and the Netherlands, but most of the rest of the world don't put lead on the buildings the way we do in such huge quantities. So there isn't a lot of research to say it's causing any problems. So people will say, well, where's your evidence? We don't have it. <laughs> Except anecdotally, I can say, yeah, the soil around my house is highly contaminated. As far as like, well, you don't have the evidence, well, we're not testing for it. And here to get a test is very, very difficult. For kids, you can get it if they think that it's a risk. But for adults, it's not something where like, I want to get a lead test done. Well, unless you know that you're exposed, you can't really get one. When you say it's difficult, do you mean it's just expensive? Because I I mean, I can... It's not. No, it's not. So that's the thing. My doctor, when I explained to her that I wanted one done just to see... And she's like, well, have you had exposure? And I tried explaining. And I think she told me the test. She's like, oh, well, yeah, the test is maybe like 10 bucks or something like that. It was something very not expensive. And I have insurance. And it was still not easy for me to get the test done. I've had a test. It cost me 90 pounds. Oh, really? $100. Interesting. I would be surprised that you don't have um, private clinics that'll do that. Because workers will need to be tested, don't they? No. And that's that's the frustrating (laughs) thing, because a lot of these people, then you're told, then you have to go here and you have to shell out this money. And if people are like, well, what's the point? I don't want to pay for that. You know, then they're not going to get tested. We did see, I think it was in New York, they did have places where you could get tested that were separate from, you know, a clinic where you see your general practitioner. But yeah, that's the frustrating other thing. Other tests, I send my things for dust and soil to a lab in New Jersey because it's cheaper there. Oh my God. Even considering the postage, I'll get a, a dust test for $10 and a soil test, I think it was 25 blood That's test. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After we're done with the interview, would you email us a link to them so that we could add it to the sources? Because yeah, yeah. I'd like to look into that. So that's the sort of thing that I, I've had other people in the UK send their samples to the US for analysis, and then they can be reassured or, or not. The dust test is a good test because it tells you where the lead is. Okay. Yeah. And it's not that expensive, really. So Yeah, there was um, a case here. They couldn't figure it out. And this kid, I think their levels were 60 or 70. And it's the strangest because the other child didn't have it. So the mom could not figure it out. And it was from the front door. Uh-huh. And I mean... You know, and it took for uh, quite a while for them to figure it out. And they ended up having to move, right. which is yeah, yeah, yeah. just sad. Two kids and having to figure that out on your own is just... One of the other big things we don't do is screen children. You don't. There's no screening. So therefore, we've had... So to... that means you don't have a problem because... 
That's right. Right? You know, there's no problem. So, uh, yeah, it's not so much as that we haven't got the evidence for a problem. Yes. The evidence, it's very hard to get government attention when you can say, we've got a problem and because they've got a problem in the US mm-hmm. and use of lead in the UK is much worse, we've got the oldest housing stock in the world. Yeah. It's got to be worse. <laughs> but they'll say, so well, that's what I was going to say. If lead is lead, it's not going to be any different here versus the UK. So wouldn't just what you said, yeah, there's, there's yeah. evidence. <laughs> it's going to affect people the yeah. same. Yeah, and also we've got the, if you've know, seen the UNICEF report called The Toxic Truth. I have not seen that. Search for UNICEF Toxic Truth. That's got a basic, some uh, estimates of the number of children with elevated blood levels in every country, and also estimates of the, the cost. And that comes to about 2% of children in the UK would wow. be lead poisons, which actually is the same as in the US. If you look at the CDC data, and yeah, you've got about 2% as well. Wow. Is there a movement or a historical cultural change that you think would mirror what we need to do around our relationship with lead? Thinking of the Salk vaccine for tuberculosis, is there a kind of historical cultural event or movement that we should be trying to replicate in order to make some real change in this area? I would say the uh, equivalent thing is asbestos. Okay. Asbestos tends to get more attention because it kills people. You know, we've got something like 5,000 people are dying of uh, mesothelioma in the UK. But this is the thing that it's easy to measure mortality. It's harder to measure morbidity. Can you say how many IQ points have we lost? How many people with high blood pressure are due to lead poisoning? You've probably seen uh, Bruce Lamb's fears analysis of cardiovascular mortality analysis. And I think he was reckoning 400,000 premature deaths in the US were caused by lead exposure. You've <laughs> seen these numbers. Well, I'll send you a link to our manifesto. So I've uh, documented Yes. Oh, my Lord. But there's not a lot of research into attribution rates. So if you were to ask the question, how many children exposed to lead go on to develop multi-conditions, you don't really get it. But I would have thought you could get that from N. Haynes, but um, I don't think anybody's done that analysis. That just made me think, too, do you know of any research that is explaining or at least trying to figure out why lead does affect some people more than it does affect other people? I've seen some of the um, epigenetic that it's... Some people, there's particular people who have um, a genetic deficiency in their detoxification pathways. So therefore, they're less able to detoxify when they're exposed to things. So that's one thing. Okay. Um, then I've seen research about how lead interferes with DNA. There's a thing called methylation because, you know, how every cell in your body has the same DNA and lead can interfere with that. And particularly, it seems to be in, uh, in the brain. That is all the time we have for this week's episode of United States of Lead. Tune in next week for part two of our interview with Tim Pye from Lead Exposure and Poisoning Prevention Alliance. In the meantime, please check out the sources linked for more information on Lead Exposure and Poisoning Prevention Alliance and studies that were mentioned in this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to United States of Lead hosted by Andrea Elizabeth and Paul Kramer. 
Just a quick disclaimer, Andrea and Paul are not experts in lead poisoning. We do ask that you check our sources and read up a little bit more on your own. Thanks again for listening.